now. Hello and welcome to Rockets Pockets. On the line with me today we have Phil Badani, a name many of you will know. Uh, for those that you uh, that don't know, you'll get to know him a little better here on this uh, this occasion, and uh, no doubt you'll want to learn more. So, Phil, over to you if you could tell us a little bit, bit about yourself. Hi, Steve. Thanks. Uh, I've grown up in Thunder Bay. I joined the Royal Canadian Regiment uh, right out of high school in 1992. I uh, spent 16 years in the Canadian Forces, 10 with the RCRs, and uh, uh, six with the uh, as a firefighter. Uh, with the RCRs, I did three deployments. The first one to Croatia in 1994, which uh, I ended up getting uh, shot, uh, coming back from an escort mission. Uh, my eldest was shot uh, about 54 times just in the back of the, the Jeep itself, and that uh, Jeep is now in the War Museum I've seen in it. Ottawa. Uh, uh, got out of the military and medical retired, uh, they released, they retired me. I uh, started teaching at the, uh, Canadian forces fire Academy as a civilian, uh, until the uh, contract ran out. Uh, then I was a firefighter, fire safety inspector at Bombardier Aerospace in, uh, Downsview, uh, Downsview Park area. Um. Uh, 2017, I uh, competed in, for Canada in the Invictus Games. I was also nominated as the flag bearer for the opening ceremonies for Team Canada. And uh, some of the other things I've been, uh, I've been active in uh, getting funding for service dogs for veterans for uh, suffering from PTSD. And, uh, and I'm, right now I'm actually also helping with the Team Rubicon which is a, uh, an organization uh, that deals with uh, disaster response. It's run by veterans and active service members and fire police and EMS and civilians. All right. Well, we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, as well as having, what, 54 holes in your illness, was it? Yeah, 54, just in the back. And so, you yeah, ended up with uh, seven holes in yourself, I think. No, I got, uh, I got two holes in my back. And uh, shrapnel on my right arm. Uh, John Tessioni had seven. Okay. And four, four in the back of his head. Uh, left shoulder, uh, right, left uh, hand, and uh, right arm. Well, you also uh, forgot to mention that you received the Notorious Service Medal for uh, for that incident. I've got the citation yeah. here for those who want to hear it. So then it goes: uh, Private Badani was returning in a small wheeled vehicle frame. Uh, in a routine mission on, in Cro Croatia on 31st of December 1944, when he and his passenger came suddenly f were suddenly f fired upon by 20 armed Serb soldiers gathered on both sides of the road. Despite the agony of multiple injuries, Private Badani accel accelerated and clear, uh, cleared the ambush and drove his badly damaged vehicle 13 kilometers in darkness to reach the unit medical station. His initiative and determination under fire devotion to duty, and sober, co co courageous actions saved both his own and his passenger's life. Um, it's quite an accomplishment for a private. When, yeah. Uh, when do you uh, remember I, the incident? Is it a uh, fairly clear in your mind or at it's, the time? It's fairly clear. What's that, sorry? Uh, it's fairly clear. Like, the, the whole incident, it's, you know, in a way it seems so far and long ago, it's like almost another lifetime. But uh, I remember that incident like it was yesterday. Um, you know, we, we uh, going up to that incident, uh, you know, I'll just give a little scenario background. Uh, Canadian, our contingent was moving further south, taking the area over from the Kenyans. And uh, as we're doing Iraqis and stuff like that, the Kenyans were actually li literally living with the Serbs. So in their OPs, they had Kenyans and the Serbians living together. And, and their shift schedule is like a Kenyan soldier was on this time and he was replaced by a uh, Serbian uh, at a UN post. And uh, when we took over that area, we just like uh, kicked out, you know, kicked out the Kenyans, kicked out the Serbs, uh, burnt their bunkers because it was just uh, disgusting. Uh, and of course, you know, in those tours, we sandbagged the planet, so we made these monstrous uh, bunkers. 
And we actually, uh, the, the Kenyans were actually giving the Serbians UN equipment. And, and they're using a, yeah, they, they're using, using a UN ISO trailer uh, in the zone of separation for a weapons depot for the Serbian uh, soldiers. So that day we actually went in and uh, did an operation and uh, got UN equipment back. And we raided this little uh, atonement site that the Serbs had in a UN trailer. And uh, that really pissed them off. And how long, bef- how long uh, from that action to when you got shot up was it? Literally hours. Uh, I left. We were cleaning. We were like literally emptying out all the weapons out of the trailer, loading up. You know, I was a kid in a candy store, like woohoo, or you know, armfuls of AKs and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I was the platoon commander's driver uh, during this tour, and he actually went down and uh, uh, and talked to the local Serbian commander with the interpreter. And Jack Murphy was the sergeant doing the the cordon, right. and uh, the the. The local command, serving commander, basically told my platoon commander, "You're a fucking dead man. <laughs> uh, I, you know, no tra- translation needed. Uh, yeah. I'm going to come up and kill you." So I got a call on the radio. I didn't know any of this was going on. I got a call on the radio and said, "You know, the platoon commander wants to go back to the company headquarters and you know brief the OC." So I went down, picked him up. Didn't think anything of it. Took off. You know, drove him back to the company lines. Uh, he didn't say a word to me, uh, didn't talk about it and, um, dropped him off at Charles company, uh, he had headquarters and it was just roughly around, uh, supper time. So it was around, uh, 1700 and he went in to go brief the, uh, OC and I, I went to go have get something to eat. Next thing you know, I, I get a call. The ops warrant, Warren Hill calls me into headquarters. Uh, he goes, the observation post where Sergeant Murphy's at, their generator just went down. And since I knew the area the best, uh, I had to go escort some engineers to go fix it. So go get a, an es- uh, somebody to uh, go with you and uh, go meet the en- engineers and escort them uh, to the observation post. So I went back to Ninth Platoon Lines, and, and uh, of course, I'm at Platoon Headquarters, so I asked the guys in Platoon Headquarters, and they're all like, uh, well, I got to go to the gym. I'm going to go eating. All right, I got to go eat. And uh, John Tessioni was like, you know, what are you in platoon headquarters? You're in a different section. And he just goes, I'll go with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, little do we learn, never, you know, you're always told never anything. volunteer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> so uh, we went down to back to back, met up with the engineers. And my orders were, you know, escort the engineers. If they uh, don't need an escort back, get back as to company lines as fast as you can. There was no rules okay. about uh, having at least minimum two vehicles in a convoy or anything like that? Nope. Nope. Nothing. Jesus. How so, long, uh, just to interrupt you for just a second, how long in theater were you before this all occurred? I was, this is, well, this is New Year's Day. Uh, I got in theater like the end of September. Okay, so you'd been so, there a little while. Yeah. So we get up there, you know, met up the engineers, took them up to the uh, the most direct route uh, up to the observation post. Of course, being New Year's, you know, went around, said Happy New Year's to the guy, like Jack Murphy and Vic Baker and, and all the guys. Yeah. Um, you know, what you do, and I, you know, and uh, went up to the engineer sergeant. I said, uh, can you make your way back or do you need an escort? He goes, no, we're good. I'm like, okay, but this is my orders. I got to go back. He goes, not a problem. You know, said goodbye to the guys, and uh, John and I jumped back in the Opus and back down the mountain. And, uh, you know, typical T intersection. The route we came was to the right, and the shortcuts to the left. And just remembering back, you know, make your way back as quick as possible. Yeah. Took a, le- took a left turn. And uh, we came around in the, the town of Cull Arena. Of course, there's no power. It's, it's, it's nighttime. Yeah. And uh, the headlights, as we told, I say the middle of the town, which is actually just a, an open field in in, in this uh, a group of maybe four or five buildings. Burnt out mostly. And, yeah. And uh, my headlights got a, you know, 
Sean on a group of about 25 Serbian soldiers, all armed, standing in the middle of the road. And uh, it's like I interrupted somebody's party. Uh, <laughs> I, I slowed down. And uh, in the past, we we're always told never stop for anybody because they try to, you know, like, one, take shit off your Jeep. Right. Uh, they're under a fuel embargo. So, you know, you got the jerry can of gas on the back of the Elpis. Uh, so I slowed down and uh, they actually parted the, the crowd, parted on the road. And just as we're in the middle of them, somebody yells something in Serbian. And the next thing you know, you can hear every single rifle cock. And in a split second, uh, they opened up fire. Jesus. You guys had no option uh, to return any fire at all being in that little no. vehicle. No, no, no. Like, you know, the, 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 our rifles are down by your side in the little rifle racks um, by your legs. Uh, there's not much room in the Altus. And, of course, uh, we're in the zone of separation. Uh, and we didn't have to have our helmets on. Yeah. So we're wearing, we're wearing our, our uh, little ball caps. Um, Trying to appear non-threatening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, because that's, you know, zone of separation. There's supposed to be no weapons. So in the UN's mind, that's a safe spot. Yeah. It's outside the zone. It's dangerous. Um, <laughs> How clueless is, they were. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it, I have actually heard, like, I heard the glass breaking, the shots fired before I actually heard the the actual weapons firing. Um, the bullets ripping through. Uh, I actually counted myself getting hit. Uh, felt like somebody poking me in the back. The, uh, I didn't know my right arm was hit until later as I was driving. I felt a burning sensation. Yeah. Um, and everything goes through your head. You're like, I got hit. You know, just typical army reaction. Oh, fuck. Contact report. Grab the radio. <laughs> try to talk in the radio. And, you know, and it's literally, I'm doing what I, you know, trained to do. Just, was John unconscious you know, at this point? He, it's it funny because every time I talked to John that night, uh, he answered me. He said he passed out um, and became unconscious. But, you know, I look over at John and, you know, I could see his ear, his left ear is dangling off his head about an inch and a half. Yeah. And, you know, typical, oh, like, open wound, direct pressure. I push his ear back to his head. You know, John's like, ow. I'm like, you know, pull my hand off. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know. Um, but uh, he, he was slunched over and you know uh, i didn't realize at the time uh, driving you know like the right tires were shot um but you know everybody complained about how a piece of crap the elpis is uh, i still remember doing 60 kilometers an hour yeah with no right with no right tires well for those that um, don't know the elpis is just basically a, a volkswagen only slightly longer and higher off the ground yeah a snow yeah. machine with wheels yeah, yeah. And uh, for, for mine protection, you guys had uh, sandbags on the floor, I'd imagine? No, um, actually, that, that's another interesting story. Uh, we actually won Kevlar blanket. That's why we were issued. And um, so when I got issued it, of course, being a private, I'm putting it underneath my seat. Yeah. <laughs> and, the command, and, we, and the platoon commander goes, you know, he jumps in the Jeep for, you know, to go do a, a little mission. And he looks, he goes, well, where's my blanket? They did and issue I'm you like, one, sir. I go, I go, you don't get one. It's just one. And he's like, well, why don't I get it? <laughs> then I pulled, I pulled, I stopped the Elpis, middle of the road, got out, rolled up the, the Kevlar blanket, threw it in the back of the Jeep. And I said, you don't get one, I don't get one. And he agreed to that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, Whatever happened to look oh, after your men? Oh, it, well, if you knew that officer, you would understand. I probably did. Uh, but uh, ironically, because where I threw it, it was behind the platoon commander. So that Kevlar blanket took a lot of rounds behind John. Yeah, possibly saving so, his life. Yeah, I exactly. Uh, like, you know, it's things that went through my head that night, you're like, okay, uh, when I realized the right tires were shot and flat, you know, as I'm trying to do a turn and all I see is sparks coming out of the right side because I'm on rims, I'm like, oh, I got to change the tire. <laughs> then, you know, in, in your head, you're thinking, no, the tire is behind me and it's got to be shot. You know, it's, it's got to be a hole in it. Uh, just like the radio, try to use the radio, no contact. 
uh, radio shot. Um, as I'm driving through Bankovac, uh, and I realized, like, I have one good thing that the platoon commander did tell me is in the battalion headquarters, they had a surgical team. And so he said, if anything happens, go there, don't go back to company lines. Right. So uh, I do give him credit. He did give in that tour some sound advice that stuck in my head. Um, so I'm driving through Bankovac, I'm going to, to Rastovic's battalion headquarters, and uh, Niltis comes up behind me. And, of course, no right tires. I'm kind of, you know, swerving on the road. And being New Year's Eve, the Yiltis behind me, of course, I can't hear this. I found this out later. They're calling up ahead saying, uh, these guys are drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let these guys in. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm going up the dirt road to, to Rastovic. And uh, in the front gate, and I'm just in my head. I'm talking to John. I don't know if he's listening or not. Um, you know, the gate opens. It, it doesn't matter if the gate opens or not. I'm going straight through it. Um, of course, the Jeep behind me got close enough to actually see the holes and the sparks and everything else. Uh, you know, they, they called in, let them in, let them in. Uh, I drove through the front gate. They actually they, they opened up the gate. Uh, actually, Vance was on duty that day. He was actually, because New Year's, the officers were standing in the, on the post, and so Vance was actually on the front gate. He was the ops officer for the battalion. Yeah. Uh, so I just, you know, drove through, didn't stop. And and I, uh, I to this day, I'm driving to the UMS. There's a soldier, I don't know who he was, standing in the middle of the field, staring at a rock. He's just standing there with his head down. And I opened up my door. And I yelled at him, go get the medics. You know, we've been shot. The guy looks up in a, in a stunned look and disappears. I, I don't know why that sticks in my head. I just find it, or I, I'd like to know who that individual is. Uh, but just to know where the hell did you go? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, he, he, as far as you know, he didn't alert the UMS? No, no, he just took off. <laughs> vanished there he was gone thanks you buddy uh, fucker yeah uh so i pulled up in front of the ums got you know stopped got out of the eltis grabbed my rifle walked to the other side of the eltis opened john's door helped john out that's when the, the medics came running down down their little ramp and of course you know john's more visually seen because he's got you know his ears hanging off his head and he's got some you know visually seen like yeah he's hurt so yeah. i grabbed John's rifle and they, they, they're helping John up and they're checking him out and like, where else you've been hit? And I'm walking behind them with two rifles. Like, uh, I've been hit too, <laughs> but you're talking and, and they walking, stop. So you seem all right. Yeah. And they stop and they turn like where uh, in the back. And they're, then they're one guy goes, well, let me have those r rifles, you know, <laughs> just come with us. <laughs> you might need uh, help. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, so, you know, they're poking and prodding John in, in the one, uh, and I can hear John, you know, screaming in pain and, and cussing them because, you know, typical medics are like, oh, there's a hole. Let's put my finger in it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not, <laughs> that's not quite how we work at being an ex-medic and all. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this is how we see it on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> Should have given you a prostate bend, check as well. Yeah. Bend over, touch your toes. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> but, so anyway, uh, and, I, and there's typical me as a young private going, you know, and they're like, okay, take the flat check up. I'm like, okay, stop, you know, call Charles company, let them know what happened. Call, you know, we need the ops officer here. I need a debrief before you touch me. I got, you know, and this is typical. I, I don't know if it's typical. It's just me as a private going before you touch me, I need to talk. <laughs> there's info that needs to be passed right now. It, exactly. Like, you know, enough of this, you know, medic stuff like I, I need this has to be done because i'm already thinking about you know sergeant murphy's section up there yeah uh i interrupted somebody's party and guaranteed it wasn't for me i don't know uh at that time and uh and uh ironically uh, like through the whole thing you know the ops officer came vance came and, and uh, I remember hearing a story that Vance said, I tried to salute him in the bed. And I'm like, I wasn't that dedicated of a soldier, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take your word for it. Sounds good. <laughs> well, you may have it with the drugs in you, but I can't imagine. You may uh, have, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's possible. 
So, but, do you do you just out of off off the side? Do you remember any of the medics who were there that night? Uh, weeks. Who? Sorry. Um, weeks. weeks. Tim Weeks. weeks. Yeah. Tim. Tim. Um, and I can't remember the uh, like. I I can't remember the rest. Um, Tim Weeks having been there, but I, I can't remember who else. Because I, I think yeah. the first time I. I saw the uh, the Iltis. I think it had been dragged over to battalion before it went to the mu- war museum. And then yeah. uh, I remember meeting you sometime later on. You were a corporal, tall, tall, big guy walking down the hallway. Didn't look like you had a care in the world. It didn't look like you'd just been shot up not that long ago. But it was uh, it was odd. Um, I like you know you know back in you know when the battalion gate but came back. Uh, that was a very odd um, experience. Well, nothing was said. Um, I mean, back here in Canada, nothing was, you know, I don't recall the news reporting on it. They may have had a slight blur, but it was kept pretty quiet. There was no no major, you know, like Afghanistan when somebody got shot up, everybody knew about it instantly kind of thing. Yeah. Well, they, 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 we, we had briefings like we, and when we were in the, the MDMC, the medical hospital in Ottawa, yeah. we did have national briefings uh, or like news conference. And um, the, right. the, the government was, because the Somalia just happened and the, the Somalia inquiry was just started. Right. Yeah. Um, they were using this as a, uh, a turnaround. Like, whoa, look, like, you know, let's put Somalia aside. Here, here's a good news story. Um, so try to change the narrative of the military and say, Hey, you know, um, let's just put that thing aside. What happened, uh, with the airborne and just look with this, what, uh, as a good news thing. Yeah. Cause you guys gave um, interviews from your beds, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Um, we did interviews by the bed and of course, then we had to like, when we were in Ottawa, which is kind of funny, because uh, when we got sent back to Canada, I, I didn't get. You know, troops just packed your gear and said, here, you know, here's some small stuff. And the rest got shipped back. I, I didn't come back with shoes or boots. So, <laughs> arrived, you know, I, I'm landing in Ottawa with foam slippers with little happy faces on them. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, that sounds military, all right. Yeah, oh, exactly. Exactly. So, so, I remember I got an American friend in a Bosnian uh, or a... Um... Slovenian friend, both of them had hit, um, been hit by mines, each of them twice. The American guy, I remember talking to him and saying, so what, what's it like getting hit, you know, in a vehicle that hits a, hits a mine? And he was a southerner, slow-talking southerner. He goes, really fucks up your day. <laughs> and the, <laughs> and the, and the uh, Slovenian guy asked him, and he, and he said, oh, you know, it's another day at the office. It's expected part of the job. Where in that spectrum do you fall? Closer to the, it really fucks up your day or another day at the office? Well, you know, I like to say it's another day at the office. Like, you know, literally to me it was. Like, I, I did what I was trained to do. Not like yeah. you practice getting in an ambush. Well, we do, but not in a vehicle. Um, you know, what to do. Uh, and just training took over. Yeah. Um, you know. You know here, party I'm, kicks I'm, in. Yeah, I, I like, you know, I'm part Italian, John's Italian. You know, the worst thing you have two Italian kids with their hands flopping all over the place. Um, <laughs> good thing of the standard. I have my hands busy. Yeah, yeah. But um, I just reacted. You know, it just everything that came in that night is just a reaction. Training in survival mode. Right, you know, like what to do, radio. Hey, that didn't work. You know, first aid or what you can do while you're driving at the same time. Yeah. Um, I did think about, you know, did think about returning fire, but again, rules of engagement kicked in. I can't return fire. They stopped shooting. <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, it, it was, was ridiculous engagement. rules of engagement all through that whole tour. Oh, oh exactly. Tours. You know, you know, the, the rules of engagement it were just on a recipe card. That's how small they were. Yeah. You literally have to be in a direct fire to return fire. And well, in that scenario, what I was in, well, they stopped shooting. I can't return fire. Um, nor, you know, there's nor impossible that I could. Yeah. Uh, I'm just not, you know, I just don't have that many arms. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Or no, fortunately, exactly. you would have just had more to put bullets into. 
Yeah. Uh, even though, like, on the inquiry, the investigation that uh, the UN did, the the Serbs said, you know, we opened up fire first. Of course. Uh, of course, that's you know, um, <laughs> and you know, right away they went, okay, they still had the dust covers on their muzzles of the rifles. Uh, they still have all their ammunition, and there's, you know, like, you know, Private Badani didn't really clean his rifle in the last 30 days. We could tell yeah. that. <laughs> so, so you got a notorious service medal and a charge, charge parade yeah, for not exactly. your weapon clean. Exactly, exactly. Go Royals. <laughs> yeah, typical, typical RCR. Hey, wait a minute. You know, even though you did good, you screwed up somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And we'll get you for it. It's a fault in here somewhere, and we're not passing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and that's actually, you know, that's almost what happened. Um, because the UN did an, an inquiry, um, the chain of command initially went, you know, oh, Badani broke the rules. He got shot. Something, you know. Um, so they tried to, when we went out, apparently there was a briefing stating the situation that the officer was threatened with his life we raised the risk assessment to vehicle movement only. And that road through coal arena was now closed. Unfortunately, I was not in the briefings. I was already on the road. Yeah. Um, so not knowing to me, um, uh, when I was back in Canada, they were looking at charging me. <laughs> um, I had a bit, Oh, it, you know, and I like I had a bit, my platoon warrant was on holidays and he came, he, uh, Vic Pasakis, and, um, he came to my, uh, my hospital room in, in Ottawa and we talked, he goes, what happened? It was so I told him what happened. Yeah. I, I told him what happened you know, what I know what happened. And he goes, okay, you know, I'll see, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later. He's going back in the next few days. So Vic being a calm warrant officer, he's not very, uh, doesn't fly off the handle. He, he's very, I, I found him very, you know, he listens first. Who was it? So when he, when he got back to Croatia, you know, all the officers or all the pointing heads are all running around and all whispering and talking. And Vic was like, um, what's going on? And they're like, Oh, we're, we're looking at charging the Danny. He goes for what? Well, driving an unclear route. Jesus. He goes, really? You know, you know what's happening right now in Canada, and, and they're like, "No, what?" And and Vic was like, "He's been doing national news conferences. This is what he's." he's they're he's looking a, at him. He's saying, now a poster boy, or you're now a yeah, poster boy. Exactly, he's a hero. He's this. He goes, "Well, you know, we gave briefings." He goes, "Okay, what time was your briefings?" Well, it was at eighteen hundred. Okay, where was Bedani there? Oh yeah, no, no, he was on the road. Exactly. So, you know, everything that they found, and I, I got told this later by, by Warren Fisakis, uh, back when, you know, the battalion's back and leave. And he called me up to his office one day and he sits down and he goes, do you know what happened? I'm like, no. And, uh, you know, he sat down and he, and he just laid it all out for me. I'm like, Oh, really? He goes, just, you know, don't, you know, just take it as personal information, you know, like, Nice to know, because uh, I still had that same platoon commander. You still had what the uh, same platoon commander? Yeah, same platoon commander. And uh, so he just like he goes, yeah, just just so you know. You know, only and in the I'm military would you go through something like that and still have to watch your back for somebody trying to stick a knife in it. Well, you know, it's it's the CYA cover your ass. Yeah, and and that's what the regiment started to do. Duck and cover. Yeah. Oh my God. Somebody got shot uh, at quote unquote peaceful tour. Yeah. And it led up to a shooting. What happened? And that's what the UN want to investigate. And of course, you know, the Italian's first reaction was, Oh my God, CYA, what the fuck happened? And let's, you know, we had to have a scapegoat. This, this happened in 94. When did the Medak pocket battle occur? Do you remember? Uh, the Medak pocket actually happened before that. It was 92, 93. 92 sounds about right. Yeah. yeah about that. Yeah. Yeah. And that we didn't hear about until years later. 
Oh, exactly. Uh, and just like that tour too, as well is the uh, and the other Canadian contingent, the RCDs were being um, taken hostage by by Serbs. They surrounded their observation posts and uh, basically kept them quarantined in their own OPs. Yeah, I think that was the same time, if I'm not mistaken. That was that would have been when ninety three, because I was at the Airborne Regiment in ninety four, just before disbandment. So yeah. I think that was 93. And we okay. were, we were uh, mounting up Cop Cobra to go in for a rescue for, for those. Yeah, hostages. that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 But, you know, you know, that wasn't general knowledge either. No. Well, that was what Hillier called the decade of darkness. So there's, right. there's a lot going on, but what was going on was kept being kept hushed up because, well, Chrétien, I think, was the, the guy in charge at the time. And the Canadians thought we were just a bunch of, you know, peaceniks handing out flowers yeah. and candy instead of getting shot at and shooting back. And he didn't want to ruin that reputation, apparently. Yeah. So, so a good, a lot of good guys like yourselves potentially ended up getting fucked over. Oh, literally, <laughs> yes. But <laughs> not, not to dwell on the negative here. Um, <laughs> so you, you joined when? 92. And it was infantry your first choice? Yes, my only choice, actually. Silly <laughs> me. <laughs> so you took the exams and they said, infantry is for you? Yeah. So you joined the infantry and you spent uh, 16 years in the military? Yes. Would you uh, recommend the military to anybody else? You, you know what? Um, I, I, I've been asked of that uh, many a times and, and people ask me to, um, you know, or you know, like my friend's daughter my 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 niece wants to go to you know she joined the military and, and my my advice and i really you know what i for me i would do it all over again yeah um you know yes there are things that happen in the military that wasn't pleasant and i'm not saying getting shot wasn't pleasant you know um <laughs> i there's suppose other, you there's other, it wasn't pleasant no well there's other things that in the military uh lifestyle that is worse Daily than getting shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'd do it all over again. And my advice to other people that were joining the military, uh, basically, you know what? It, it's, it's an experience. And, and it's not an experience for everybody. But, uh, you know, my advice when you go through recruit school, nothing is personal. It's all a game. Yeah. And you, when you realize it's a game, it makes it a lot better. Because you know what, they're still going to find that dust bunny. They're still going to find, you know, flip your bed. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They they will always find something. You know, it's it's the nature of the game. And remember, it's a game. It's nothing personal. You get yelled at. Big deal. It's not personal. Yeah, they goes away after ten weeks. Well, then you exactly as soon as faster you realize that, you know, it's easier for you. Yeah. And, Once you realize um, it's not personal, you can coast along. Oh, I'm 100. percent And I found it's when I look back on my military time, and I know my firefighter uh, friends and family are going to not like this. I had a better comradeship with the regiment when I was in the regiment, yeah, than I did in the fire hall while being a firefighter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the same when I got medic. When I got medical released, I was looking for a retention. Uh, you know, like, oh, you can get a three-year retention. I was, you know, 16 years in. I'm okay. I'm, to me, I was a lifer. I wanted to spend my whole career in the military. Yeah. And when I was getting medical released, I was fighting it. I'm like, you know what? I, at least give me my 20. And thinking of how slow the military is with paperwork, I can, I can squeeze out four years. Yeah. Um, my career manager as a firefighter, nope, nope, there's no room. We are like, we were short uh, in the trade. Nope, you can't deploy, you're unemployable. I'm like, I've already done three tours. Yeah. You have a whole trade of people that never gone anywhere. Yeah. Um, how many times more do you want to send me? They've, they've gotten that, better now, I think. Yeah. You know, um, I, I would hope. I would hope. They're... You know, it, I can always get better. Yeah, absolutely. there's always room for improvement. Even 
when I got repatriated back, me and John, there was, you know, we had an assisting officer. And, you know, it's, how many times have we sent somebody back injured from overseas? And, you know, not that we hear, and like back in the 90s, it was, you know, few and far between. But, you know, there's, a, okay, you get an assisting officer. This is what you, this is what's going to happen to you. Blah, 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 blah. It, it was all laid out. And then when he, you know, like I didn't go to Afghanistan, but I'm watching, you know, the guys and girls come back injured, you know, losing people, don't know where they are in which hospital. Yeah. When they came back to Canada, like, how'd you drop the ball? Like, are you trying, like, where is all this doctrine that we've had for years, for decades? Yeah. Um, and now you're like stumbling and you don't know what to do. You know, that's, you know, say a little bit embarrassing, like, um, but you know, what a letdown you get a soldier hurt. He's in the hospital, you know, because MDMC is closed. Yeah. Uh, so, so you got, you so know, it's a base hospital where he would normally go. It's closed. Oh, exactly. So you send them to a civilian hospital, but you lose track. Like how, how, what does that say to, to, to a soldier? Well, it's, it's one of those, it's the bureaucracy of peacetime. Yeah. You know, the, 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 you know, the situation in garrison, you know, uh, we always, you know, because people get bored, you can't have idle troops in garrison. Yeah. People start making up stuff. And, and that's what happens like with, you know, that's why I think like building a hospital without patient rooms. Um, somebody's not thinking, planning ahead. If somebody's not, you know, like, you know, what if, you know, you know, in the field, you're always thinking that if you send up a field UMS, you know, okay, you're going to have beds. You're going to have, you know, you're going to set up a trauma center. Um, that doesn't change, you know, when you're not in the field. Well, you can imagine if we were still at war in Afghanistan and you have this pandemic going on right now. So you've got the civilian system overhauled, overworked, um, or getting close to being overworked. And the, the, uh, the military bases are what going to throw up tents because they have no hard stand to uh, put patients into. Yeah, you got to kind exactly. of wonder what's going going on there. Yeah, but enough about bitching about, about the, <laughs> the system. What? Uh, so you'd recommend it? The Invictus Games. How'd you get involved with that? Well, uh, Steve, I watched Steve Daniels. Uh, yeah, he's an amazing guy. Um, you know, with after his parachute, I was in Trenton as a firefighter when he had this parachuting accident. Yeah. Um, and I watched him compete in, in, in the Paralympics and I watched him compete in Florida in the Invictus games in 2016. And I'm like, you know what, if Steve can do this, I can do it. Yeah. And, and I put my name in and, uh, through soldier on, and there was just a checklist. Have you ever done, you know, international sporting competitions? Have you played sports and you know, like on your recovery, and there's a whole bunch of gamut of questions and a basically, an, you know, write an essay about how you think, the Invictus Games will help you in your recovery. And at that time, uh, you know, I, I'm working in, in, with Bombardier and that place sucks. Uh, that company sucks. Um, you know, my personal life wasn't doing too good. Uh, work life sucked. So, you know, I'm mentally exhausted. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? May maybe, maybe this will be a turnaround. Uh, maybe this will create new opportunities for me maybe you know like thinking trying to think positive and so i, I applied and and i was selected um and i you know like woohoo <laughs> you know now what and of course typical me i i steve daniel did indoor rowing i'm going to do indoor rowing <laughs> if steve can do it i can do it and i later went to steve go why didn't you tell me indoor rowing sucked <laughs> <laughs> something you got to find out for yourself oh yeah exactly because misery loves company man yeah <laughs> He also but, became uh, a doctor, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. So anyway, so you were you you were into the rowing and it sucked. <laughs> what, yeah. What else did suck and what was good about it? Well, see, I, uh, I you know it was one of the things uh, as as a soldier you want to always push yourself, um, and that has never left my mind. Um, you know, the, you know, mission before self. Yeah. Um, you know what? And uh, I did you know, not just indoor rowing, but I also competed in wheelchair tennis and wheelchair rugby. How was that? And the funnest game that's ever been invented. <laughs> Sounds rougher than hell. Regular rugby. Uh, you, oh, exactly. And I, I put it as the fact that, okay, you know, and this is the military humor in me. 
you're telling me I get to hit handicapped people in a wheelchair and get away with it. <laughs> and literally, that's what you do. You get the bumper cars in wheelchairs. And if you somebody has the ball and you knock them over, you get the ball. So it, it entices you to hit people. I'm like, this is the ultimate infantry game right here. <laughs> yeah, oh, only in the military would some guy think, you mean I get to hit a crippled guy and steal his toys? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, fucking um, standing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to chat. Like, that was new and that was fun. Um, wheelchair, like, I played tennis when I was a kid. Not yeah. saying I was good at it, but now, like, because I'm, I'm able bodied. Put me in a wheelchair and I'll play tennis. Yeah. Um, you really, you know, challenge myself. Exactly. Uh, uh, mentally and physically, like, oh my God, you know, I got to wheel this thing around and hit this yellow ball. Um, got my ass destroyed, but um, I got to play wheelchair tennis with gold medalists, old Paralympian gold medalists. Yeah. Uh, what an outstanding opportunity. You, uh, uh, you, you also, you're also involved with, uh, well, let's talk a little bit more about your, your recovery. First of all, when did, when did you realize, or when did you get diagnosed uh, with PTSD? Like, did, um, did you realize yourself that, uh, see the opening, uh, music to this is supposed to be by, uh, Warren Zevon, my shit's fucked up. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. somehow, somehow I erased it, but it's, it seems like a, uh, you know, a, uh, good tune to open up on something like PTSD, at least for military guys who have a sense of humor. Um, right. My shit's fucked up. When did you realize your shit was fucked up? When I remustered to become a firefighter. And what, what, um, what was the realization? I, I was posted to Cold Lake and, um, and that's time. Of course, of course, Cold Lake, you're in, you know, North central Alberta. Um, the sun goes down early and never comes back up or it's, it's out all the time. So it really sensory living in a in cold lake screws you up yeah, i lived there as a civvy um the my wife was pregnant at the time uh and she had pancreatitis at the same time as being pregnant uh so she was being sent to edmonton and back and forth uh they're telling her to abort the pregnancy because they never had somebody that's pregnant with pancreatitis at the same time yeah uh she developed a cyst on her pancreas because of that um and we did not want to abort the pregnancy. Right. Uh, so that was stressful. Um, of course, the, the environment there. And then uh, Rob Short died in Afghanistan. Right. And uh, that, you know, if anybody knows Shorty, you know, he's... That's a kick in the balls to a lot of us. Yeah, exactly. And I always remember Shorty, like he was just a great guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was, that was, that hit me hard. And, you know, I'm sitting in Cold Lake. I'm in a fire hall. I'm just sitting on a lazy boy chair watching TV. Oh, go do a bit of training. Oh, you know, doing what, you know. Wash um, the vehicle. Yeah, go wash the trucks. It's like you're a kid, like washing a fire truck. Who doesn't dream of this? <laughs> but I was angry. Yeah. Um, and um, I was just angry at everything. And I'm like, how the hell? I'm in an Air Force base. Why am I the most angriest person out here? Did your wife and, pick up on it? No, no. Uh, well, you know, she knew something was wrong, but she thought that's because of her illness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I wasn't the greatest husband at all when she was sick. Um, lo and behold, to me, you know, that that's my mind going defensive mode. Yeah. The what ifs, like, oh my God. Um, I've already had one one child, uh, Jared, my oldest, who was who who is has autism, but he wasn't diagnosed yet. Um we knew something was wrong. He was two and a half and he stops talking. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that was going on. And, um, I just, you know, so it was to you, it was just stress you were under, but it was identifiable stress. Right. Right. And I just, I, I walked into the, the hospital and, um, uh, Jack Buchanan, he was one of my instructors in Cornwallis. who's a medic. Yeah. He was the, the warrant UMS in, in Cold Lake at the time. And, uh, I'm like, you know, Jack, can we have an appointment? Can we sit down and talk? And he's like, sure. You know, uh, you know, come down, sign his office. And we just started talking and, and like, uh, you know, I just told him, I'm like, things suck. You know, I, I'm really, you know, really, I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm, I'm, and Jack kind of laughs and he goes, Phil, 
what you've been through, have you not to think that has ever affected you? You know, and this is just, you're just now realizing it, you know, is, you know, do you think that has something to do with this? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I've never felt this way. But of course, in the infantry, it's all speed and violence. You know, you do things fast and angry, you know, you showed aggression and that was a good thing. Right. Um, in the Air Force, everybody's like, ooh, we got the Air Force, you know, the airmen of the month. Yay. You know, it's bring your boss to the junior ranks that night. I'm like, what the hell is this crap? Um, <laughs> I, I, I just didn't fit into the Air Force world. And, and now because of that, I started, you know, realizing, you know, something's wrong. And Jack's like, yeah, let's, let's get you help. Let's get you talking with people. And of course they sent me to Edmonton and uh, the quack that they sent me to couldn't get his timeline straight. Like he was all over the map saying I was in Afghanistan. I was a Patricia. Uh, you know, it was just like, dude, I was RCR. This is 94. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it never came, you know, his assessment never came out of nothing. Yeah. But I basically realized like, yeah, something's wrong. I need help. And, you know, this guy wasn't going to help me. He, he's just not listening. Um, I ended up getting posted to Trenton. Uh, one, because of my family, like there's I have family in Ontario. I can get help with uh, my, you know, my wife there. gave birth. Uh, she had her cyst drained, uh, get my son tested and all that stuff. So the career manager, you know, didn't do a posting. Uh, he did a posting, not a contingency cost move or compassionate. So he did it as a regular posting. And when I was at the fire hall in Trenton, uh, another buddy of mine from the RCDs who was a firefighter, Dave Walker, who was one of the guys that were taken prisoner uh, uh, in Croatia by the Serbs. So he was diagnosed with PTSD and we were talking in the fire hall. He goes, you got to get help. You know, I could, you know, I, I, my train of thought, I'd be staring off in the space and Dave would look at me and goes, where were you? I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, you know, you know, you, you're not here. You're, you're somewhere else. Um, you know, and so I re looked at getting help again and get diagnosed and, you know, it, going through a couple of doctors. That, was, that was what year? That was, uh, 2000, uh, 2004, 2005. So it took you the better part of 10 years before you, well, even more than 10 years before you realized yeah. you, you needed help. Yeah. So after you made that realization, you got, you got, you got a guy up in Edmonton who didn't know what the fuck was, which way was up. When did you really start uh, getting some help uh, medically and mentally? They, uh, I, 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 put the I ended together. up getting, a, yeah, I ended up getting another quack doctor in, in Trenton. Yeah. Um, and I kind of lost it on him, like literally, uh, because, you know, he goes, oh, I think you have PTSD, but not enough to get you a big payday from Veteran Affairs. Oh, That's the exact words. And I, I, I lost my shit. I'm like, I'm not looking for money. I need help because I'm going to friggin' snap somebody's neck. This is, you know, this is, I, I you know, I could not, you know, not, like I was having anxiety attacks. Yeah. And I literally like, I'm, I'm I wouldn't go back to the fire. I'd stay outside. Like, uh, you know, I felt like I was having a heart attack, but I didn't want to be near anybody. Um, but I knew like, I'm like, I just, I can't live like this. Um, so when I had the, the blow with the doctor, he goes, okay, I'm going to send you to Ottawa. Go to see their occupational, um, oh, their OSI clinic in, in Ottawa. Occupational stress injury. Yeah. And that's when I started to get actually help. And um, was it effective? At the most part, yes. Um, and I, I know I say that as the most part is because it's something that I believe we don't get rid of. It's easy for somebody to fall back um, with your PTSD if you're not conscious of it and right. always tr keeping up with your therapy. Um, so so, so would, you, it, would you advise a guy that's got PTSD currently and has been diagnosed um, that therapy is, is helpful? Yes. And in, it's, what, you know, in what way? You, it's, it's helpful in the way that gets you talking. And then, you, know, you don't have to talk about your incident right. uh, and what happened. Uh, but you get to talk to you about to get things out in the open. Because the last thing you want or somebody wants in, is to stay in your head with your thoughts. Um, 
and I've said that, uh, said this during Invictus, you know, your, your mind is the most powerful thing you have. But when your own mind is plotting against you or you think it's plotting against you and it's always pushing negative, it can destroy you. And has. And it, and it has. So, you know, mentally you could be, you know, it could be a powerful thing for good and it could be a powerful thing to destroy you. Did you? And Sorry, go on. The, and, you know, using that, like, so you always have to, to you know, keep working, you know, getting the tools out of your toolbox and keep, keep it in check. Did you, did you use mindfulness or anything like that as part of your uh, toolbox? I, I did. Uh, that was one of the hardest things I had to learn. Oh, so um, it didn't come, it didn't come easy. Um, I didn't want to take medication at first either. Right. Um, my doctor, my, I didn't think that medication was, um, cause I've seen guys on medication for PTSD and they're basically glossed over no feeling, no, no emotion, just me. And it was zombie like, and, um, you know, I, and my doctor convinced me to go, listen, take some medication. I, you can't get treatment if you're always at a hundred percent, if you're always vigilant and you're always, you know, at the go treatment's not going to work. You have to take the edge off. And so you'll be able to let the therapy happen and be, you know, allow yourself to calm down and be able to talk. And if you're hypervigilant, you're not receptive to the, to the treatment. Right. Um, so, we did work on medication it took quite a few to figure out what was the right one. Um, and dosing and all that. Yeah, exactly. And that's all just a, um, a gamble uh, and, you know, try this, try that, try this doses, try that medication. And, you know, that does wonders for your body, uh, you know, weight gain and, and, you know, all the other stuff. But, um, but that allowed me to get therapy done and to be able to open up and to talk and not be just a, a complete nerve wire or just a bumbling mess. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the things from Afghanistan that's going on is, of course, you see the increase in PTSD. And we haven't hit a peak yet I've, of, from Afghanistan. We've still yet to hit the peak of guys who are going to experience PTSD or not experience it, but be diagnosed with it. Um, right. So what would you say to the... Uh, to the guy that's out there other than, um, you know, go with, go with the care that you can get, but what, what can, what can he do to help himself? Well, or herself, I would say to the guy is, you know, some, cause some of the medical thinking is you're going to have PTSD like right after an incident, which isn't accurate. That's not right. Um, because your brain takes time to process. Yeah. Um, and so, and for me, it took me over 10 years. I mean, you might have shock and, immediately after the incident, but not necessarily. Oh, exactly. You know, there's, there's, you know, right after an incident, you do an incident debrief, you get people talking and what you see, and that helps. But if you let things go with time, it's going to get worse. You're not going to see, you know, like things are in your build and you're not going to see it. But how, how does a guy it. recognize that he has PTSD? Like what? What, what can you tell somebody who's, you know, is, I mean, anger is frequently part of the uh, symptoms, frustration and boredom and looking for thrills to, to get the, uh, the adrenaline going. See, and that's, and that's one of the things Are you start doing that. If you start feeling things or start doing things that aren't typical, typically regular for yourself. Yes. You know, you're young in the infantry, you, you, you know, you, you do stupid things to entertain yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, taking the air matches down the Petawawa River, you know, white watering yeah. uh, for shits and giggles. Without a helmet. Um, yeah, without a helmet. We did that because it's fun. But you, when you start doing that stuff, trying to, basically you're chasing a high that you're never going to get. Yeah. Um, you know, if you start, one, start doing drugs that you've never done drugs before. Um, you know, you know, I, I put marijuana in there. If you never took marijuana and you start using it non-municipal, you know, using it as medication and you just start abusing it, 
there's a sign. Yeah. Um, if you start drinking too much, um, a buddy of mine, he would, he polished his boots every day. He's not a dedicated soldier. Every day in his room, polishes his boots. Something's not normal. Yeah. You know, there are signs. There's things that you, you pick up like, okay, maybe you need to talk. And, you know, um, and that's one of the things that I found in treatment is the, you have to talk. I mean, you don't have to talk about the incident. You have to just talk and finding somebody that's like-minded, um, somebody who's been gone through, like, you know, OSIS has, you know, their, their mentors. Uh, there's an organization, you know, people have basically done what you've done in dealing with the same sort of thing. Because uh, sometimes you talk to a doctor and they just don't get it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to recognize that you're doing things that aren't typical of you, you know, whether that's, you know, and you're, you're and I say like, you know, whether it's drinking or, or drugs or, thrill you seeking. know, thrill seeking, you know, and that could be, you know, anything from, you know, fast cars, fast bikes, fast women, you know, anything that's not typical of what you are. And of course, every soldier's like, we do that all the time. <laughs> you know, every Friday night downtown, like, you know, yeah, but that's, it's a cover. Did, did your, um, did your family and friends point out to you that something wasn't right with you or that they noticed you were off? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, because, because with me, I, you know, there's other things going on that would cover it, but it wasn't until I said like, Hey, something you know, like I'm noticing something's off. You know, like something's not right. I can't be this mad. You know, um, something's not right. And I just felt it. Um, you know, and that's some of the things. Even before, you know, I, I applied for Invictus, I knew something wasn't right. I, and again, I let my treatment go. Do you have a service dog yourself? No, I don't. Are you uh, thinking of my, getting one? I thought about like, my my therapist actually wrote me a prescription for the service dog. Uh, mm -hmm. She thinks it'd, it'd be very uh, beneficial for me. Yeah. Um, I do have four dogs of my own. Um, <laughs> four dogs. So yeah, four dogs. They're, if you tape them all together, they're like one medium sized dog. Oh, okay. Uh, they're little dogs. Uh, my, my favorite is a pug. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, and she's not a you're, service you're how tall? I'm six one. Six one, and what do you weigh now? Two fifty. <laughs> it's yeah. all it's always the big guys that got these little little mutt dogs. <laughs> a little dog with an added huge attitude. Yeah. Um, but I found um, getting helping somebody get a service dog is just as beneficial as me having one. Having one myself. Well, I think um, I think on that note, Phil. Uh, we ended on a positive note there. Um, yep. uh, I'll, I'll play out in a minute and uh, just stay on the line and I'll talk to you after we finish the record up. Um, but do you have any final words you'd like to add to anybody out there who's got PTSD or uh, been diagnosed you know, with PTSD? I, my, my, what I got to tell anybody is like, if you have PTSD, there, there's, it's, it's one, you can find help. One basic thing, is talk to somebody, get help, start getting help. Two, and I've learned this from the Evictus Games, start getting physically active. We we sit at home, we drink, we eat, we do nothing. That doesn't help your mental state. Get physical, get back into shape. Um, and, and, you know, if a fit mind and you get a fit body, that helps you, you know, 100%. Um, there's activities through Soldier On to get you outdoors. Yeah. Um, the, the, there's a Valor Games happening in 2022. Um, another co physical co you know, sporting competition for disabled veterans and active service members. One for Canada. Yeah. If you go through Soldier On, there's the Invictus Games. There's the Warrior Games. There's outings. Get active. Talk to people. Find like-minded individuals, people that you serve with, reconnect, and talk. Yeah. Because if you think you're dealing with something, the person that you're talking to might be dealing to, but just won't say it. Yeah. One, one of the reasons I've uh, got into this was uh, 
so I know so many guys from the service and, and guys that are now out of the service who have PTSD and, uh, you know, they, they get lost in the, in the, in the, in the flood or, and they just don't know what to do. And so I'm, I was hoping to talk to guys like yourself who have, you know, fought their demons and are continuing to fight their demons, but are finding success, um, and ways of helping themselves and that may help others. So, uh, I'd like to say thanks a lot, uh, to you, Phil, for uh, speaking up and, uh, maybe we'll get to do this again shortly and cover, uh, either more on the same top topic or more on another and I'll play you out now and, uh, we'll talk again in a few minutes. Sound sounds good to you? you? Yep. Sounds great. Well, we'll end this, uh, rock is Bacchus. If you need help, go out as Phil says, talk to somebody, get active, be active, but get help. Look after each other out there because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. <laughs>